certainly is a privilege to come here tonight. Thank you for the opportunity. I want to thank Pastor Kendall and Pastor Davies. And uh, it's a great opportunity to come and fellowship with you here. And so we've really enjoyed our fellowship over the years. And so I thank you for the opportunity to preach tonight. Well, the title of the message tonight is Ministering Saints. Ministering Saints. Got your Bibles? Just get them out ready and turn to Acts. I'm not going to tell you where to go yet because that'll spoil the fun. What I'd like to do is a who am I? Let's see how well you know. I'm looking for a character in the Bible. I'll narrow it down. No, I won't. Make it hard. Why not? Who am I? So I'm just going to give a list of things about this particular person. And if you think you know the answer, just shout it out. Don't have to be too formal and raise your hand. We're not in school at the moment, so just shout it out. And if I hear that somebody gets it right, then I'll say, good on you. There's a star for you. But... Um, I'll keep going through all the lists of the clues. So who am I? I am a devout man of the law. The Lord spoke to me in a vision. Not Cornelius. And what was the other one? No. Good tries, good guesses. He replied in this vision, Here I am, Lord. Nope. Nope. You're told that I have a good report with the Jews. I am a disciple of Damascus. Got you stumped? I was sent to the straight street with no curves. Sorry? Nope. I baptized Saul. Correct. Ananias. I'm not a high priest. I'm not the husband of Sapphira. But I am Ananias, the Damascan disciple. Well done. There you go. If you've got your Bibles... Acts chapter 9, we'll read the first nine verses and then we'll pray and thank the Lord for his reading. Acts chapter 9 verse 1, and it says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any other, any on this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? 
And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did he eat nor drink. What a dramatic story, which I'm sure all of you know very well. Now, this is considered the conversion of Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul was involved in the killing of Stephen, who became the first martyred saint. Paul, a devout Pharisee, with such zeal, wanted to stop this so-called growing sect. He had letters from the high priest in Jerusalem to go to Damascus and executed a search for Christians, breathing out threatenings and slaughters unto them. And he had an intention to kill these new Christians who followed this so-called man, Jesus Christ. But what a dramatic appearance that Jesus would reveal himself to the persecuting Saul of Tarsus. We know him as Paul, but he was called in that stage Saul, Saul of Tarsus. This man Saul, who we know later became Paul, was a persecutor of the saints, but is now brought to his knees by God. And because of his conversion on the road to Damascus, became a preacher to the saints. What a transformation that Christ can do in the lives of people. Turn passionate killers into caring saints. Who now has such love and empathy for his fellow believers. The very man who wanted Christians dead is now seeking their souls to be saved from eternal damnation. What a transformation. So take a minute just to think. How has God saved your soul? From what has he saved you? Think, where would you be today if God not, did not reach down and pick you up from the miry clay and set your feet on the solid rock of Jesus Christ? Where would Paul be today if he resisted Jesus' call to salvation? Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? You might say, how can he resist Jesus after such a dramatic intervention? Praise God, Paul was not stubborn. But I tell you that there are many who see Christ in action in the lives of his saints, and yet they are so stubborn, stubborn they're willing to die to prove it. I trust that we have no one here tonight that has that stubbornness in the road that stops them from coming to Jesus. And as saints, and I'm trusting that most of us are saints, as saints, we should have the light of that glorious gospel shining through our lives. Jesus no longer needs strong intervention, such as a light from heaven. He now has many saints who have this light inside. Let's not hide our light under a bushel, but let the light of Christ so shine that people can be blinded by the light of his glorious gospel in us. We know that Paul goes on to become an apostle, a mighty man of the faith, with three missionary journeys, many churches started as a result, and many epistles written that have now ended up 
in our Bible. You know, God used this man mightily, and we would say that he's a hero of the faith. But let me ask you a question. Where would Paul be if it was not for an Ananias? Who is this Ananias, and what difference did he make in the life of Paul? Paul obviously thought much about Ananias because when Paul was captured in Acts 22 and before he was sent to Rome, he has this wonderful opportunity to preach to his captors and his accusers in Jerusalem. The very Jews who themselves thought that their zeal for God, just like Paul was in the earlier time, would rid themselves of Christian troublemakers. He takes this opportunity to reflect and reminisce over how God had dealt with him throughout his life. Let's pick up the story in Acts 22, verse 12. This is what Paul said of Ananias. Please turn there. Acts 22:12. And this is Paul speaking. And in verse 12 he says, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight in the same hour I looked up upon him and he said the God of our fathers have chosen thee that thou shouldest know his will and see that the just one and shouldst hear the voice of his mouth for thou shalt be a witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard and now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins calling on the name of the Lord Now, we don't know all that went on with Ananias and Paul. But what matters most is that this man had a significant impact in Paul's conversion to Christ. Because if you were to keep reading in the passage where we were in Acts chapter 9, which we're going to go through shortly, you would have seen that whole account of Ananias. And then Paul reminisces and reaccounts that in Acts 22. And so who is this Ananias? I call him the ministering saint who was available and ready to do the Lord's bidding. F.B. Myers said this, How graciously God makes use of a prepared soul as partakers in the work of salvation. It would have been easy for the risen Lord to have himself completed what he'd begun, or he might have brought a Philip or an apostle upon the scene, but instead... He, com he called a comparatively obscure man who was to give Saul the help and counsel he needed. This brings me to the main thought. Does God use everyday Christians like you and me? Or is most of the ministry, or what I would call the heavy lifting, of our Christian faith done by our pastors, teachers, preachers and evangelists of this world? interesting question I'll say it again does God use the everyday Christians like you and me or is most of the ministry of our Christian faith done by our pastors teachers preachers and evangelists of this world William MacDonald says this in his commentary one of the most important lessons that we learn from Acts is that Christianity is a lay movement lay movement what is he saying here you ask simply put the ministry of Christ, which is spreading the gospel, encouraging the weak, supporting the saints and all manner of work, isn't just for pastors, teachers, preachers and evangelists. 
It's for everyday person who is born of God and created to be a special new creation in Christ. We ought to realize the ministry of the saints or the saints' work is to minister to others, which includes the world and other saints. Now, you might argue with me that what about Ephesians 4, 11 and 12? Doesn't God tell the pastors, teachers, preachers and evangelists they have the ministry of perfecting the saints and the work of the ministry? Well, let's turn there, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So if you were to say, isn't that their job? I'd say, yes, it is. However, go a couple of verses above this and look at the context of the passage and it's dealing with the unity of the body of Christ. So that means everybody that's under that body of Christ. Go back to verse 6. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all, but unto every one of sorry, but unto every one of us, that's you and me, is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ, and so on. The word grace there means gift or benefit. It's not a benefit to you or a gift to you, it's a physical gift or benefit to be used for an enabling of the body of Christ. It's provided to us by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who will enable us, enable this gift in us and to help us use it. You know, the gift is not for me personally, but specifically for the body of Christ. All of the body of Christ come together using their gifts and talents for each other. Then the remaining verses fit into place where the pastors, teachers, preachers and evangelists have specific roles to help enable the body. The pastors, teachers, preachers and evangelists are there to help perfect us so that we may use our gifts for the glory of God. You know, the word evangelist, this word for us might bring us to think that it's the job of the evangelist to evangelize the lost. Yes, and you would be right, but maybe the Fraser Youngs or the Chris Hustlers' job, as any other evangelist might be as well, is more than that. They're to encourage others to evangelize, to, to teach others how to evangelize, and maybe encourage others to bring sinners in to the house of God so that they may hear what the evangelist has to say. It truly is the everyday Christian who needs to be concerned with spreading the gospel. James Stewart, who served as a chaplain to the Queen in Scotland from 1952 1966, said this, Each member of the local assembly went out to win souls for Christ by, personally, by personal contact and then brought these newborn babes back into these local churches where they were indoctrinated and strengthened in the faith of the Redeemer, then in turn went out likewise. Leighton Ford, a Presbyterian minister, said this, a church which bottlenecks its specialists to do its witnessing is living in a violation of both the intention of its head and the consistent pattern of the early Christians. Evangelism was the task of the whole church not just the named characters. Evangelism is the task of the whole church, 
not just the name characters. You know, I remember when I was a boy in WA, the churches that I grew up in traditionally would have a worship service in the evening, sorry, in the morning, and a gospel service in the evening. And churches would advertise themselves like that. And I remember my father used to go out and pick up friends, pick up people he knew to bring them in to hear the gospel because you could be guaranteed the gospel was preached every Sunday night in churches. And I'm reminded of that era. If I was to name the word Arthur Stace, you probably might know him as Mr. Eternity because his chalk drawings of eternity and copper plate script uh, on the sidewalks. In his biography, it records the fact that, especially in his latter years, he was known for constantly picking up people and bringing them to church so that they might hear the gospel, especially in the evening. And this is the one for the children. This is a matter of interest, a little interesting fact about Arthur Stace. Then I learnt that it's not illegal to draw chalk on a public walkway. It's not considered graffiti. Section 4 or 5 of the New South Wales Graffiti Control Act protects the right of marking footpaths or pavements in chalk. It says, Section 1 does not apply to the marking of any public footpath or public pavement with chalk, including but not limited to marking out for hopscotch and handball court with chalk. So, phew, handball is safe. If you want to mark your pavement with chalk, that's fine. It's not graffiti. You're protected. It's funny that this is called nicknamed the Arthur's Law, after Arthur Stace. Now getting back to the subject at hand, if you think that it's not your job, or you're quick to come up with an excuse, then let's, let's look deeper into Ananias' life. Ananias was chosen of God to reach out to Paul and help him make understanding of what he just went through. Ananias was to help him to find the straight and narrow. It is amazing. It's amazing that God can just call a lowly disciple to render assistance. I mean, he didn't know at the time this was going to be the great Apostle Paul. But let's see how he responds to the task. Turn back to Acts chapter 9, verse 10, if you will. And I've entitled this, The Listening Saint. Acts 9.10 And there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And to him, said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire of the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen a vision of a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand upon him, he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to the saints of Jerusalem. And here he had authority from the chief priests to bind all that call upon thy name. We'll leave it there. Firstly, listening saint, Jesus calls his name Ananias. This right here might be a shock for us if we were to hear Jesus call out our name. But this should also bring comfort to us that Jesus knows his own. He knows our name. He calls out Ananias' name. You know, Jesus knows his sheep. He knows each one of us. You know, one of my weaknesses is remembering people's names. I never forget a face, but names are very difficult. 
Jesus never forgets our names, especially his own sheep. He knows you by name. The interesting thing is that Ananias knew that it was the Lord. He did not say, who are you? He knew the voice of his master. You know, if Jesus was to call out tonight, would he know, would we know his voice? Would we recognize straight away that he is our Lord and master? Or if so, would we answer like Ananias did? Ananias' response when God called on him in a vision was, Here I am, Lord. Matthew Henry puts it this way. It is probable it was not the first time that he had heard the words of God and seen the visions of the Almighty. For without terror or confusion, he readily answers, Behold, I am here, Lord, ready to go wherever thou sendest me and to do whatever thou bidst me. Would this be our response tonight? if the Lord was to call us by name? Would we be listening for the Saviour's voice? Would we be ready to say, I'm here, Lord, ready to do thy bidding? You know, God might not use visions today like he did in Bible times. However, I'm not telling God what he can and can't do in regards to visions today. We do have the ability for Jesus to speak to us through his word and through the work of the Holy Spirit who resides giving us guidance and direction. He gives us peace when we are in the will of the Father. What a wonderful God that we have. But let's ask the question, are we ready to do the Lord's bidding? You know, this posed concerns for Ananias, and I've entitled this The Concerned Saint. You know, Ananias had some concerns. Pick up in verse 13 of Acts chapter 9. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he's done to the saints of Jerusalem. And here he had authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. You know, first thing you want to notice is that Ananias is reverential in his address as he calls God Lord. You know, it's never an issue to bring our concerns to God. Was this concern of lack of faith? Maybe. God knows his heart. But does God scold Ananias for having concerns? No. It's a blessing to know that when we have a God who understands our concerns. Ananias could have said, Lord, I'm not going because this man seeks our life. You don't find Ananias saying that. But you do understand that there are, are real concerns. And maybe that there was fear in Ananias's mind this is God's response to Ananias in verse 15 but the Lord said unto him go thy way for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake what does God say here he says yes I understand your concern but this is what I want you to do Go, go thy way, because Saul is chosen of me to bring my name to the Gentiles. In other words, he's on our side, and I have a special purpose and plan for Paul. But you must go and minister right now to his needs. We know the story, we know what he does, and I entitle this The Obedient Saint. Ananias obeys the Lord and goes straightway to the house. 
Verse 17, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house. Whether he had concerns or not, or whether he had fears, he just needed to come to the point of trusting his God. And the very next step once we trust God is to obey his commands. You know the very simplest song that we give our Sunday school children? Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe doing exactly what the Bible, sorry, doing exactly as the Lord commands, doing it happily. Action is the key, do it immediately. Joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. How did he show that he believed in his God? He obeyed, he went straightway, straight there. You know, obedience is God's requirement for those who choose to follow him. And Ananias demonstrated this because he went straightway. He did not put it off until he felt ready. He did it without gripes and grudges. He just simply obeyed. How many times when we come under conviction, we might say, yeah, but Lord. Or we might say, yeah, I'll do it in my time. Or we might gripe and complain first before we get going. How well do we obey the Lord? Is it in God's timing or our timing? Do we pick and choose what we want to obey? Or maybe what parts of the Bible we choose to obey? Oh yeah, I can obey that, that's easy. Can't obey that, that's hard. The next part to Ananias, he's the welcoming saint. What did Ananias call Paul? Let's listen to the text as we pick it up in verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hand on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou comest has sent me. What wonderful words of comfort to give another believer in the Lord. Brother Saul. This tells me that when the Lord spoke to Ananias and said that Paul was a chosen vessel, he understood it. Ananias believed the Lord and he knew that Paul was definitely saved because you do not call somebody brother in the Lord unless you have an assurance that they know the Lord as well. What a comfort to Paul to know that this man was sent by God and that he, being Paul, was accepted by the brethren. The Damascus disciple trusted God that Paul was now a child of the king. You know, it brings us to think, do we make people feel welcome, feel comfortable in our churches? Or do we believe that it's somebody else's responsibility to greet them at the door or to welcome them or to come alongside them? You know, it's one of the most easiest jobs to do is just to say good day to somebody as they come in through the door. But oftentimes it's easy to go and talk to somebody we know rather than somebody we don't. And I can understand a lot of us can find it difficult at times to talk and chat but God wants us to be a saint that comes alongside and can comfort one another, can encourage one another. The next is the ministering saint. Ananias had a job to do. Let's see if he does it. Verse 17 again. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou comest has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled 
with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as there had been scales, and he received his sight forthwith and arose and was baptised. Ananias was totally obedient to God's calling and performed his mission of ministering to Paul. Now, while I'm here, there's a couple of distinctions, one about salvation and the other about the Holy Spirit. It's worth looking into as we still want to keep our finger on Ananias. Firstly, I know that there is a debate around the passage in Acts chapter 9 and Acts 22 as to when Paul received salvation. Was it on the road to Damascus or was it when Ananias came to him and told him to have his sins washed away by calling upon the Lord? As I said earlier, Ananias called him brother and accepted the fact that he now is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Paul realised on the Damascus road that he was speaking to the Lord of Lords and King of Kings and he answered was, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? This is an act of submission to his Saviour. Adding to this, what was Paul doing when Ananias found him? Praying. So you could decide whether, which camp you lay in, but at the end of the day, praise the Lord that he got saved. Praise the Lord that he went on. It's only a very minor thought. But in Acts 22, Ananias says, Arise and be baptised and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Some think that baptism is necessary for salvation. And thus we get the doctrine of baptismal regeneration. You know, after looking at many commentators, my thoughts are this. That the order in the verse does not portray the order of events happened because when you break the verse down, the words and be baptised is separate to and wash away thy sins. You know, I think of the thief on the cross. He didn't have to get baptised to be with the Lord in paradise wasn't a requirement it's not a requirement to be baptized for salvation praise the lord it's not works based however and wash away thy sins is connected to the verb calling which would mean your sins are washed away by calling on the name of the lord so if i in my humble opinion and it is just my humble opinion i'm sure your pastors have studied this much more in depth my transliteration of that would be this. This is what Ananias said to him. Arise and be baptised because your sins have been washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. This would be in keeping with so many verses of scripture that says that salvation cometh by faith alone and not by the works which would include baptism. As baptism would be a physical effort that we do to make salvation possible. Praise the Lord that salvation is a free gift it's not by works. I know that some that say that repentance is works-based. That's not true. Repentance is just a change of direction, a change of mind. I'm heading in this direction. I repent. I'm now going in this direction. But I need to repent in order for salvation to take place. It's not works. But praise the Lord that salvation is just saved through faith. It's a free gift of God. Secondly, today when we call upon the name of the Lord, we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we are given the gifts with which the Holy Spirit uses in our lives to be service to the, our Lord. The early church had many occasions where the Holy Spirit came later after baptism and 
commentator puts it this way, it's good to remember that the book of Acts is a history of how God started the church. It is a record of the transition between the old covenant and the new covenant. He goes on to say that Jesus had given Peter the keys of the kingdom, Matthew 16, 19. Peter was present and was the main spokesman at Pentecost, Acts 2. And when the Spirit was given to the Jews, Peter was present in Samaria, Acts 8. And when the Spirit was given to the, which was the Spirit given to the Samaritans, and Peter was present in Cornelius' house, Acts 10, which is the next chapter when the Spirit was given to the Gentiles. And Jesus used Peter to open the door to teach each of these people groups. Sorry, to teach each of these people groups. So when you think about it, what happened in those early stages is not necessarily the same events that happen today. Praise the Lord that when we get saved, we get the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the same time. But that is a transition period. So I can imagine that God is working things out. And it took a bit to get the Jews to understand that the door is now open to the Gentiles. It was a big thing. Now getting back to Ananias, God used this man to minister to the soon-to-be great Apostle Paul. I appreciate that God is balanced in his approach. God can use the dramatic, miraculous interventions with the blinding light on the road to Damascus. And yet there are times when God uses the meek and lowly to minister to the great. Ananias was a nobody, according to us. And yet it was probably in an inn or some quiet house where God uses Ananias to disciple Paul and help him find his feet as a new Christian. And we know that Paul becomes the most influential, one of the most influential Christian New Testament characters as God uses him to evangelize to the Jews and the Gentiles alike. You know, Ananias was truly a hero of the faith. He gives us all encouragement that God uses all types to further his kingdom. Let's not think that the work is just to be done by the pastoral team, but God wants his saints to minister to all for the glory of God and let his shine, sorry, let his light so shine before men. I trust that as I come and speak humbly to you tonight, I'm touching my heart and thinking that I need to be about my master's business, whatever it is. And we all need to be encouraged to do the same. Let's pray and thank the Lord for the time tonight. Father, we thank you for the opportunity tonight just to gather around your word. And Lord, I'm encouraged, I'm convicted that, Lord, there's many times I should speak forth your name and I don't. There's many times I should declare your name to others and I don't. Lord, I pray that, Lord, tonight as we just spent time looking at Ananias, what a wonderful opportunity to see that, Lord, you can use the greats, but you can also use the meek and the lowly and the humble. And this man was mightily used of you. So we thank you, Lord, that is that's an encouragement to us. Pray that, Lord, you continue to bless now as we head our way home. And thank you, Lord, for the time that we've had. And uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.